We've all been there. We're sitting in the waiting room of the dentist's office or at the bus stop, or we're lying in bed scrolling on our phones when we should be sleeping. And our smartphone shows us something. We're consuming news, or at least we think we are. For many of us, social media has become almost synonymous with fake news and misinformation. We understand that much of the content we see has been selected by an algorithm to appeal to us. And yet, we can't look away. Constant bombardment and easy access to headlines, video clips, and sound bites help create the feeling that we are well-informed about the goings-on of our world. But are we? As I'm sure you've guessed, we're going to investigate that answer in today's discussion by exploring what's become known as the news finds me mentality. We'll explore what this phenomenon is, how it impacts civic engagement, and why it might be leaving us less informed than we realize. To help us break this concept down, we're going to talk with Homero Gil de Zuniega. Homero is a professor of journalism and media studies at Penn State's Donald P. Belisario College of Communications. He's also a distinguished research professor in political science at the University of Salamanca, where he directs the Democracy Research Unit, and a senior research fellow at Universidad Diego Portales in Chile. Homero's work focuses on how social media, algorithms, artificial intelligence, and other technologies affect society. He's published several books and more than 170 articles and is presented on those topics for different professional organizations and universities around the globe. Homero has been identified as one of the most prolific scholars in political communications and social media. And these days, he's working on what the news finds me mentality means for society and democracy. Homero, welcome to News Over Noise. Thank you. So it's, it's great to have you here talking with us about this. Uh, this is uh, something we've been interested in, given the dominance of smartphones as a way that people interact with the news. So just uh, briefly, what is the news finds me mentality? So the, the news finds me perception or, or the news finds me belief or mentality appears when um, we have the influence of our social media environment and that perception that we are surrounded constantly by news and information that they live with us as we use technology, particularly social media, all the time, we start developing this perception that we are being well-informed by not actively engaging with the news anymore. Since news are with us and around us all the time, we start perceiving that we are well-informed and that we're receiving the important news about public affairs and current events in a daily basis, practically constantly, so that develops this idea of a news finds me perception. It's the belief that we're receiving the news that we need to receive to be well-informed uh, and part of a, an informed public opinion. And uh, it emerges from this perception that the news are with us all the time, but we are not actively engaging with the news as we used to. And therefore, we develop the perception that the news finds me. So meaning like that it, just if people are on Facebook or even on uh, various apps that their phone might be feeding them things, right, feeding them things, that, that that is what you mean by active and searching or perception, right? That you're just, stuff is coming at you, and because it's coming at you, you must be informed. Exactly. So if you compare to the more traditional days or the old days where we were subscribed to a newspaper and we will, you know, the newspaper will get delivered to our house or we were in the evening relaxing and watching the news at dinner or something like that, we were more active in the way we were consuming news. All of a sudden, first with the internet, 
and more specifically with social media, we rely more on these algorithms and either socially driven algorithms or individually curated algorithms to generate information for us. And we start believing or feeling that we're well informed just as the old days when we were consuming news more actively. And that's the problem because we're not doing that. And But we feel we are doing that. And, in, and if you start developing the perception, you will start feeling that you're well informed as you used to be. But the reality is well different. So explain to explain to me a little bit how do, how do algorithms work in this sense. When you, you said like a socially curated versus an individually curated algorithm, what like what, what is an what is an algorithm? We use that word a lot. What does it mean? So basically, just to break it down, when we're using social media, the information and not only the information, any content that gets presented to us is based on mathematical uh, solutions that the, an algorithm will present information to us, right? So uh, there are two clear ways or paths to generating information or content in social media. One is, let's say that I use Twitter and I personally curate the information I want to or, or the, the content that I want to get exposed to. If I'm into news and I start just following on Twitter journalists and, and mainstream media, professional factual mainstream media, I will get information most of the times, but that's not the case. We start following friends, we start following my my team. So ultimately, we our personally curation, that's the individually driven algorithm. The personally curation may not be geared towards hardcore news. So that would be problematic because uh, the algorithm is going to learn from our preferences and it's going to present information to us that aligns with our preferences. So it might move us away from more informational content. The socially driven algorithm, on the other hand, may may present you with information that is based on what your social networks tend to like or tend to watch or tend to click or tend to share or comment. But once again, we know that not everybody is very active in commenting and sharing news all the time. We receive all other kinds of information and content, entertainment. So once again, it might be the case that social media is presenting us with a very diverse amalgam of content. Some information might be there, and that's precisely the problem, that we feel that whatever tiny bits of information that we're receiving are fair enough game for me to be informed in my daily basis. And then this turns out to be not the case. So people who develop the perception that the news finds them Ultimately, over time, they will be less knowledgeable about politics, because if you don't develop that perception, you will tend to seek information more actively and so on and so forth. And ultimately, you will continue to be politically sophisticated in terms of knowledge. So something that we've we've talked about in previous episodes is this idea of news avoidance. And so I, I'm thinking about for myself personally, as you know, our listeners know, I've confessed that I'm someone who... I avoid certain topics of news. And so I'm wondering if if we fall into this news finds me mentality, is it inherently a bad thing? It sounds like it, it can lead to some negative outcomes for us as consumers. So the short answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, so far, most of the studies, practically every single study that we've made um, analyzing and exploring the effects of NFM turn to be negative or deleterious effects. Uh, in the news ecosystem and, and the public informed society. So one of the um, strands of these effects is, as you suggested, news avoidance. Because precisely what happens is that I'm so reliant or I become so, so, reliant, so reliant on my social media to inform me 
that the high NFM people, in time, they start engaging less with the news. They, the, the first studies that we conducted, we showed how NFM people started to consume less news in TV or in radio or in print media, and they will only consume more news in the social media environment. Now, this will, in, in, in other studies, we also check the idea that for those who develop the perception, whether or not they will become more news avoiders in a sense that since they don't feel the need to be active seekers, so that would predict in time maybe that they start actively avoiding news. Why would I consume news if I think that the news are going to get me anyway when, when things break? And if they're important, they will reach me through my peers and networks. So all of a sudden, I can avoid news and be content and be happy about my decision. So it's not only that NFM may have negative effects. Ultimately, it's even worse because these people may start thinking that there's nothing wrong going on with them. It's kind of like if I'm sick and I got diabetes and I know it, maybe I take action and I try to correct my diet. But if I got diabetes, but by eating whatever it is that I like to eat, and I believe that I'm doing the right thing to my body, it's even worse. So this is exactly precisely what happens with NFM. I start consuming less news, I become less knowledgeable, and I start more actively avoiding contact to news or becoming news avoidance kind of a person because I don't need them anymore. The news will get me. So if you're if we're thinking that the news is going to get you, what kind of work us through what that what that belief system would because it sounds like what we're talking about is that people trust their social networks to curate. They trust the so how does that work that they are they trusting the machine? Are they trusting their people? Or is it a com combination of both? So this is a very interesting question to ask because we are precisely at that point in, in terms of research. So to and perhaps we can we can break this down for the audience if, if I become too uh, scientist-y with this one. So to measure this a phenomenon, there are three dimensions, right? The first dimension is the not active or, or not becoming an active seeker of news, right? I don't need to be active seeking news as when news break, and if they're important, they will reach me in, in social media. The second dimension, it, it's the reliance on peers, which is what you described. I rely on either my curated network or my friends or my social media contacts to provide me with important information as news break. That's the measurement of this. And the third dimension, and to me the most important, is the perception, the belief that I can be well informed about public affairs by doing this. So those are the three original dimensions of the construct. But as we learn more and more about all these effects and how the news transmission perception works, we are thinking theoretically, and we propose that in a very recent paper that we published, that there should be a fourth dimension. And uh, similarly to the dimension that captures the over-reliance on peers uh, to uh, get me news and to push news my way in social media when things happen and if they're important. We also believe that news perception people, NFM people, will also over-rely on algorithms to inform them. So a similar way of measuring this, our proposition, which we haven't empirically tested yet, it's only a theoretical paper, is to say algorithms will, will present me with important information as things break. That's the role of algorithms, and they will do a good job doing this. So once again, similarly to my reliance on peers, I rely on algorithms on social media to inform me about things when they break and when they're important. It's interesting. You know, one of the things that we talked about when we talked about news avoidance is a kind of a distrust of media, right? That they, um, 
the traditional curators of what is important for us to know as a democracy, people have come to distrust them for a variety of reasons. We think they're cynical, we think they're biased, etc. But you're, what you're describing is that seems like they have more trust in a machine than they do in human beings. How do you how do you understand that? What part of the mentality would explain that? So, so their theories that have been published before in in, uh, in the past decade that would indicate this might actually happen. One of the theories that is important is the theory published by Professor Sundar, uh, also at, at, at Penn State University, in which he talks about machine heuristics, and it's this idea that individuals we make these quick recognition that the machines will do a better job than humans. So I trust the machine to provide with more balanced information or the machine will will, uh, will will not ingrain or embed any type of biases as a human do. So uh, the machine heuristics is this idea that ultimately machines will do a better job than humans at doing any given task. So based on that theory, I will, uh, yeah, I will tend to propose that, uh, that NFM will tend to happen similarly. And it is clear to me that NFM and machine heuristics, to some extent, are going to be correlated or associated. And going back to your initial question, it also, not, not by me, but other group of researchers, Samuel Lee and, and Barbara Kay, in a, in a study published last year, they also showed how NFM, by means of lower political interest, makes people more vulnerable and exposed to fake news information. So um, part of our initial research indicated that over time, just as NFM people will learn less about politics, they will also lower their political interest. And, and that makes sense too, if you think about it theoretically. Why would I be interested in politics and keep my guard up when news are going to get me either way? So I don't have to be defensive in that, in that way. I don't have to be up to speed with being interested in politics because it's not it's not part of my duty anymore. The news will find me eventually. So they tested this uh, effect, as I indicated, that through the decrease of political interest, people were more vulnerable and exposed to fake news. Just because they trust that the machine is going to, if it's important, the machine is going to give it to me. Probably part of that, yes. That's that's part of that's part of the this mental mechanic and cognitive process. Yes, of course. It's, you know, one, one part would be my friends are going to send me this uh, information when it's important is going to reach me anyway. The machine does a great job and it's going to give me that stuff when I need it. So that's why we, we're proposing a new dimension of the reliance on algorithms because, yeah, the algorithms know what they're doing and they know when information is important and they will feed me that information as it happens. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, every year after Thanksgiving, uh, after I eat too much turkey and whatnot, there there are a bunch of ads that come up on television that show me if I get a you know a machine that uses electrical stimuli, you know, and shocks my stomach that I'll lose weight, right? And it's the, I'm lazy, so these appeal to me. I mean, is it something like that that we're we're kind of lazy, so we think that the machine is 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 if we if hey if it's doing the work for me there's no reason i need to do that work is that kind of what it is it, i actually think that that might be a very good analogy because we we know that perhaps being active in life and exercising and perhaps also using those electro i don't know stimulating mechanisms might also contribute so i'm sure that when some chiropractors are, are using them it means that there might be some science it's not my field of expertise but those things might help you if you're active and you use those things, 
It might contribute to be healthier, but if you just use the electro socks or whatever those things are, that's not going to get rid of your problem of being lazy and 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 staying in the sofa, right? So similarly, when we talk about social media, social media is not inherently bad. As I said, if you actively curate your your uh, algorithms and use social media very purposefully and efficient to receive information, you very likely do a good job and social media will be an important tool to to provide you good information. The problem is that we don't tend to do that. I think when people finish Thanksgiving dinner, there will be a very few percentage of people who will go running right afterwards. The tendencies that we sit in the sofa, similarly with social media, the tendencies that I'm not curating social media to do a great job with news is just, you know, doing the other things. And uh, for our listeners out there, when we hear the term NFM, that's we're, we're referring to the news finds me mentality. That's kind of our shorthand here. But Homero, when you're talking about social media and algorithms, my mind is immediately kind of going to, you know, a younger audience is, is news finds me, is this mentality something we see most commonly among a certain demographic, a younger demographic, or can anybody fall into this mentality? So the, the first studies that we conducted revolving NFM, we found an association in which younger people will tend to more rapidly and to a larger proportion to develop NFM as opposed to older counterparts. We saw this also in follow-up studies across different societies. So we observed this happening not only in the U.S., but also in over 10 societies across the world. But the most recent studies, the most recent data collections, we're seeing that this gap is closing. And the explanation, you might think, oh, this is good. Because finally, you know, there might not be a distance between younger generations and older people like we always find with news. So finally, we're, we're closing that gap. This might be good news. But observing the data, in reality, this might actually be something bad. Because what is happening is that practically everybody's developing the NFM perception. So the first time that we measure this, one third of the population in the U.S., we're developing NFM. These days, it's more, almost double. And in some countries, we found, like in Spain, for instance, we found over 80% of the population, to some extent, has developed the NFM perception. So yes, if practically everybody is developing the NFM perception, there are no gaps between young people and old people. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this is good news. It's just that practically everybody is developing the perception. What do you think is contributing to this increase in this mentality? I think the main factor here is the pervasiveness of social media use. The more people are getting familiarized with social media platforms and social media apps, the more they're going to develop the perception. We know, uh, now that you know about the perception, you might try to combat it, you might try to understand how you actively engage in social media, but we know for a fact that the more you use social media, social media use, particularly for news, is a very robust predictor of NFM. So, and that happens to everybody, even because we control in our models, that is, we took into account the possible or potential effect of being educated or having higher income or things like that. This happens to everybody. Once you uh, isolate the effect of other variables, such as these demographic variables that I just mentioned, what tends to happen is that if you use social media, the more you use social media for news, the more you're going to develop NFM, the more you're going to develop the perception. So my take is, why is this 
becoming more pervasive across societies in, in the world because we are integrating social media into our daily habits. And the more we do so, the more people will develop the perception. Just a reminder, this is News Over Noise. I'm Matt Jordan. And I'm Leah Deitches. We're talking with Homero Gil de Zuniega, a professor of journalism and media studies at Penn State's Donald P. Belisario College of Communications, about the news finds me mentality and what it means for democracy. So one of the concepts that, that I think is interesting with this is the background nature of news then, right? There's an assumption that we're on social media, there's news going on all around us. If it's really important, it's going to bubble up through the rest of my feed, right? It's kind of like wallpaper or ambient noise, right, that it, it is there. So, you know, this concept of ambient journalism that, it, you, you know, I, I've read in relation to News Finds Me. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, that's a, a actually, I didn't coin that one. That was coined in the uh, early 2000s by a colleague of us, Alfred Ermita, who's a professor in, in Canada. And he talked in his, uh, his work, it's the first time I came across this idea of ambient journalism. And it's this notion that the news are out there surrounding us all the time. Whereas uh, before uh, internet era or social media era, the news were a niche in our daily lives when we actively consumed newspaper or radio, when we were driving to our work or, or on TV, you know, when we were watching the news. All of a sudden, he described this as ambient journalism, not necessarily of something wrong. In his work, if you read it, is the idea that, that journalism has become more liquid. And that is everywhere at this time. And actually in his work, he, he didn't have a negative aspect of the ambient journalism. And we took that idea of being involved in this cloud of news environment in social media to specifically trail the paths or connect the dots between why being in social media would generate a perception that the news finds me. And clearly it's because we think based partly on this journalist uh, ambience that news are with us all the time. If you think about it, in the old days, or more traditionally, we devote a certain amount of time to news. And probably what is happening is that because of my amount of time that I devote in social media, I have the perception that the news are there with me. I, I, I fulfill my time slot. My duty of news is done here. And and that we know ultimately you pay the price because you don't end, end up learning as much as you should about current events. So that, you know, uh, so if it's there, if it's going on, we assume that it's going on in my social media feed. So if I'm checking in on social media, I'm effectively checking in on news. Is that kind of what? Or at least you perceive that is what is happening. You go online and you get everything at once. Let's say that you're having your breakfast and uh, and you open your cell phone or and your social media platform of choice. And there will be some news in there, right? But coupled with other things, a picture of a cat, your good friend pictures of your last game last night. So everything is, it's a mixed cloud of inform information and entertainment. But the thing is, although you've been presented with news, you might not devote the time effort to click on them and read them as when you were being active. But on the other hand, you do have the perception that you did your job with the news. And that's the, where the problem starts mounting up because I did my job, I had the news when they're important get me, and ultimately we know that you're not doing your job and that you're not fulfilling your your needs, your orientation needs of, of, of being informed about public affairs. So it's that the news is kind of chopped up too? It's like, say, you're only reading headlines or 
or somebody said, oh, can you believe this happened? But you're not really getting the context of things. You're not really getting what you would need as a citizen to be informed. I think that's part of the problem. Um, I'll, I'll talk about something which is uh, not tangential to this, but it's a different phenomenon, which is the incidental exposure to information. So we also measure this idea that people are doing something else. You're in social media and you're doing something else, and all of a sudden you get exposed to uh, a piece of news and you read it or you click it and you watch it. So that is being coined as incidental or inadvertent exposure to information, incidental news exposure. So in the literature, we found confounding effects with incidental exposure. Some people learn about politics. Some other people didn't learn anything. Some people, we couldn't experimentally demonstrate any effects whatsoever. So null effects, neither positive or negative. So in the latest uh, uh, study that we published last year, we saw that the direct path of incidental exposure to knowledge in our data set, as, as we tested, it was negative, meaning people who were inadvertently exposed to news, they would learn less about politics. However, in the instances that that incidental exposure led to two things, one is what we call thorough information engagement, which is exactly precisely what you were describing. The idea that I click, I not only the headlines, I read the whole thing, or I watch the entire video, or I listen to the entire clip. When people are doing that, people who are inadvertently exposed to news through thorough engagement, they will learn about politics. Similarly, when people get incidentally exposed to news and they reflect on those news at a later time, which in the literature is called cognitive elaboration, basically the idea that I would individually reflect on those news that I've been exposed to, what they mean to me, to my environment, to my family, to my, to my life. So when people do that and they put in perspective all that information that they were incidentally exposed to, they also learn more about politics. So you see, in the paper, we call this the paradox of incidental exposure to news. Direct effects, negative. But when people are engaging with the news and when people are reflecting about the news, they encounter positive effects on knowledge. You know, something that we've kind of touched on a little bit, we've heard you mention active news consumption. And I'm wondering how active versus passive consumption impacts how we process information. You know, when I'm thinking of myself, it feels like if I sit down with the intention of, of really focusing on a book or an article, my mindset is different. It feels different. Like my engagement will be stronger than if I'm picking up my phone and I'm just randomly scrolling through TikTok. That's absolutely right. That's exactly what happens. So if you're, that's, that's precisely why we're advocating for an active consumption of information. Because when you click, when you purposely choose to engage with news and you read them, all these things are going to happen. You're going to think more about it. You're going to reflect more about it. You can engage with the news more in depth versus when you're just surrounded by news and, you know, the news get me. Once again, remember, you get the perception, but the news might not even get in at you. So, for instance, uh, yesterday, the Prime Minister of uh, United Kingdom resigned. I haven't seen that in my social media this morning. I read about it in the New York Times when I woke up, but it's because I know that I can't just solely rely on social media. Yes, I saw a lot of comparisons between the Prime Minister and the letters, and who was going to last longer, but the real nitty-gritty information, I had to read the New York Times article for me to be informed about it and what were the important issues surrounding this, why, why this uh, prime minister will resign, why he did it. So once again, um, once you're active, definitely 
beneficial effects. Um, if you're just relying or expecting that the news will get you, that's not going to take you far. In in your best advice, Homero, how can we make people aware of this mentality or, or help to signal to people that they've fallen into this news finds me mentality? Yeah, that's, that's the million dollar question, right? So we are now embarking in that area. Recently, we are running two different experiments and also we are in, in the means of collecting national survey research as well to test potential ways to combat this uh, NFM perception effects, right? Because so far we were interested in establishing the effects and learning about the phenomenon. Now we have, and not only my team, I think several researchers across the US and abroad, also in, in Europe, they have investigated lots of pernicious effects revolving NFM. So for instance, in UK, researchers from, excuse me, researchers from, uh, uh, Oxford and Loughborough University, uh, Andrew Chadwick and, and Christian Vacari, they saw how the NFN related also with uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. So it's something that I didn't think theoretically makes total sense. And they, they empirically tested with data in the United Kingdom. So as I said, there are many groups of people across the world now talking and researching upon the effects of NFM. In my mind, I think it's been so far, in so far, quite well established that the NFM has negative effects on society for the most part. But what we don't know is what kind of things we can do to combat this. One of them, clearly, as it happens with many of the issues revolving social media, like for instance, misinformation or fake news, one big deal will be news literacy. The idea that people learn about how to deal with information, particularly in this dynamic social media context. The other one is uh, in one of the experimental conditions that, that we are running as we speak, the experiment is taking place, is to introduce in like they do in the literature of health communication, implement certain uh, uh, inoculations or interventions. So for instance, first we will gather subjects who are high NFM, and then we, we create two different groups, one group of high NFM who would be exposed to, let's say, a piece of information, and we will register how many things were they able to recall, right? And we equate the recalling with knowledge. Are they learning? Are they grasping concepts and facts from the news they get exposed to? And the other group of high NFM, what we will do, we will expose them to the exact same piece of news, but before we will apply an intervention, just like they do in health communication scholarship. We will explain what the NFM is, and we will say, you previously, in the questionnaire that you fulfilled last week, you were identified as a high NFM person. These are the effects that high NFM people have been observed to have uh, based on literature, based on scientific research, and then expose them to the news and in the hopes to see whether or not this, this type of inoculation treatment or intervention would have an effect. We're hoping yes, because if it happens, we will have some empirical evidence to indicate that this thing can be combat to some extent, right? But as I said, we are in the means of running the experiment. We don't know yet about the potential findings, what we're gonna, what we're gonna get. So it's, you know, we're, we're talking about habits of mind here when we're talking about dispositions or, or mentalities. Uh, and in a, in a way, what, what you're saying too is that people are uh, kind of get into these habits of mind and that the algorithms reinforce these through feedback loops, right? So basically your algorithm's gonna reproduce what you like to do, right? If I don't like the news very much, 
then the algorithm's going to not give me very much news if I like the news a little bit more. So, I mean, that the upside of that is that if if you start to read more news, the algorithm will will feed you more news. But that that feedback loop also kind of makes me want to talk a little bit about filter bubbles and uh, being in information bubbles, which we know has been a a high predictor of polarization and people feeling like they're part of a tribe. How does news find me also relate to these kind of filter bubbles or news bubbles that people are in? So one of the uh, well-established findings that we know about social media, counterintuitively, or what, what a person might think, social media tends to present us with diverse information. So at large, social media will, for the most part, present individuals with diverse information. Now, this doesn't mean that echo chambers or filter bubbles are not created, particularly when individuals purposefully create the personally driven algorithm to do that. So let's say that I'm very stream on my political or ideological views, and I train with my consumption, I train the algorithm to present me with that kind of information. So, and this has been well established in YouTube or social media. If I click, share, curate, follow, and block, I block the kind of things that I don't like, and I do follow, click, read, comment on information that aligns with my political ideology, I'm going to start purposively generating this filter bubble. So in a recent study that we just published uh, last month in Journal of Communication, we tested the idea that to what extent news finds me may be connected to a purposeful homophilic bubble, that is creating context in social media by which individuals are purposively presented with information that aligns with their political views and with discussions that align with their views. They don't want to discuss with anybody who disagrees. They don't want to consume any information that deviates from their political ideology. So we created this variable, which we call the homophilic filter bubble, right? And we saw that, unfortunately, News Finds Me is a strong predictor of homophilic behavior. So what happens, once again, once I start relying on my networks or my, you know, my own curation of things, since we are not active and we are not being on, on, on our toes, trying to diversify and make sure that I'm reading all the news, I'm doing my, my dutiful uh, job of, of being informed from a diverse basket of information, ultimately what's going to happen is my perception is going to contribute to generate these homophilic uh, filter bubbles. And we do know uh, that although filter bubbles is not the, the most common thing to happen in social media, it happens. And for those, who's ha for those who happen, it is very meaningful because it's a strong precursor of polarization, extremism, um, stubbornness, uh, obstinate partisanship, things that we do know are very pernicious and deleterious for a healthy democracy. So, um, yeah, in that, in that finding from the last Journal of Communication article, we were able to show empirically that over time, because it was panel data, people who developed the news management perception will develop these homophilic networks. And social media news consumption will not directly lead you to that. So, however, social media news will lead you to generate the news management perception. So that's, that's why it's important for us to individuals to do not overly rely on, on, on this idea that the news will, will find me eventually. So if I'm in an echo chamber, right, if, uh, only talking to people who, who think like me, 
is is that do the does the social group then reinforce that right so say people are talking about current events which they often do right and that becomes my way of understanding what's going on in the world is how people who think like me do it does that kind of steer this as well so you don't even get out to different types of, of content providers or in from news providers it mostly stays in the kind of reinforcing somebody my friend Joe says yeah that sounds right and oh this doesn't sound right and so you, is that what keeps people in those those bubbles yeah well exactly what what really keeps people in these kind of bubbles is once again and you mentioned this is the idea of we are lazy by nature and um, when it comes to information, there's another theory which is called cognitive dissonance. So we are programmed, if you may, to seek information that is not going to be dissonant, right? That is going to create any cognitive unpleasant feeling. And when you're exposed to information that disagrees with your views, it touches this dissonance. You need to make an active effort to say, well, maybe there's something for me to learn here. Maybe when I think in that my political party was doing great with unemployment rates, they're going to give me hardcore facts that unemployment rates are not going that well. And I, w I had a misperception. But this news is unpleasant to me. So individuals, we have a tendency to seek for information that is consonant to our views. We, we dislike cognitive dissonance. So the explanation of filter bubbles, the root comes from, from that end. The idea that the tendency is easier for us to get exposed to information that aligns with our views and discussions that align with our views. And the problem with that is that we get into this circle of, well, I was, you know, I was thinking my political party was doing great, but if I'm exposed to all these things, I'm actually thinking that my political party is doing super great and the other guys, they don't have a clue. So ultimately, these filter bubbles or echo chambers they're not going to persuade me to change my opinion on something, but they're going to persuade me to become more extreme on my own views. And that's also political persuasion. Probably a, a much more uh, harmful way of persuasion, but still persuasion. So I'm thinking back, Homero, our first episode is on news avoidance, and in particular how people are choosing to avoid the news because it it kind of, in a way, it benefits their mental health. They're avoiding the noise surrounding the news. You know, it's too much. It's making people anxious, depressed, things like that. And, you know, when we're talking about this news finds me mentality, could having that mentality end up being good for our mental health in the sense of like, my algorithm is trying to curate content for me that that I like, that I enjoy, or it thinks I enjoy reading, and kind of keeping me away from things maybe that I don't want to be reading. So could there be a slight silver lining in any way? Right. No, I think you're totally right. So there are two different things. Something that it might be better for society or for me or for democracy doesn't have to necessarily mean that it's better for my well-being or my my mental health. In fact, as I said, being exposed to information that is going to be unpleasant to me, nobody wants to do unpleasant things. It's like going to the dentist. I haven't heard anybody saying, oh, great, today I'm going to the dentist. I was I was waiting for this two and a half months to happen. So this is very similar, right? And and there's research that indicates this. Um, we you, you can you can read uh, um, theories that would indicate those who are or have hard tendencies to be nationalist or, or highly authoritarian, 
they tend to uh, report higher levels of well-being in time. So yeah, I, I might feel better, but that doesn't mean that is better for society. Society is obviously crucial for news, right? The whole reason we think news is good is because it allows us to work better in society. And when I teach about these things often, I talk about democratic disposition as being one that is usually listens to other people better, engages with other t types of people that don't listen to you. Because the belief is that if we can draw in more perspectives in a democracy, the better off we are solving problems, right? That we need to draw from all types of experience. So how do you think that this cultivation of a kind of mindset that gets used to being comfortable, gets used to sitting on the couch, relying on the machine to give you what's relevant, how does that impact people once they leave the house? Does it make them less socially engaged? Does it mean that they're not going to seek out people? I mean, does it start to make democracy not work very well? Yeah, that's an interesting take. I don't know if we can associate that to NFM per se, but maybe to all the things that happen in social media, uh, the discomfort. Yeah, there, there's there's definitely something there to be to be investigated. What we do know from the uh, from the research in the seventies and so on and so forth is, uh, and you you touch this, for democracy to work, we should be able to put ourselves in the shoes of others who might actually think different to me, and that might not be pleasant. So um, it was a clear way of understanding politics in the seventies and the eighties, and it happened. Individuals were willing to pay that price. As politicians, we're willing to compromise and discuss the classic uh, cross the aisle, right? That we we hear all the time in in Congress and Senate, and nobody seems to be willing anymore to cross the aisle and, and listen to others and come into terms and into agreements. But in the 70s and 30s, those theories were quite important in political science. So, for instance, one of the most important motivations uh, for people to participate in politics and generate a better democracy were called rational motivations to participate. And it precisely touched the notion that you described, the idea that I am willing to compromise. I, I, I take an effort to try to understand the other side when we discuss politics. That is really important. So it might be the case that because we are becoming too pleased and too used to the idea of not delving into those efforts of hearing the other side, uh, as Diana Matz put it in her book, it might happen that we lose some sort of literacy of discussion or socialization into politics, and it might be problematic, but, but I don't have data on that. Well, we don't need you to have data on it, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, so it sounds like people trust the machine more than they trust people, right? Is that is that something you could say reliably, or is it that, again, is it the machine mixes with the people that they trust, or is that the people that they trust get them to trust the machine? Right. So both things happening. Uh, as we discussed earlier with uh, machine heuristics, people try the machine to produce less biased information, for instance, than a human being. That's part of it. But ultimately, we also trust people. And that, that might be also problematic because some of the informations that we receive, if they come from someone who's my close friend, I might take them as more important, I might take them as, as factual, so I might also lower my guard. I suppose that if I was just, you know, reading those news in a pamphlet, newspaper, or on a, on a sign when I'm driving, whatever. But if it comes from my, hey, this comes from my good neighbor, Joe. I know Joe for over 20 years. He's a good guy. 
So um, you're going to interiorize those news as more trustworthy just right off the bat because you trust Joe. So I'm wondering if if one of the best responses to news finds me as a, as a mentality is one that you were saying that you do, which is that you read the news this morning in a newspaper, or not newspaper, but a digital media platform, uh, that New York Times, that, that the idea that you could rely on social media to keep you informed is, in fact, an illusion, that, that that's what the data might support as a, as a finding. Would you agree with that? Unfortunately, yes. My, my latest book, which has been recently sent to the publisher, uh, Social Media Democracy Mirage at, at Cambridge University Press, that's precisely what we advocate in the book, that we're generating a society that unfortunately, because of social media, has become very active, very engaged, very participatory, because social media, that's one of the things that we also, although we haven't discussed it today, mobilizes people a great deal. It has uh, precisely for all the things that we've been describing. So people are really participatory, yet they are tend to be uninformed when it comes to news because of social media. So that's why we call the book Social Media Democracy Mirage. And unfortunately, I think that's, a, that's what is happening, that we're creating a society that is more participatory than ever. Look at the past elections. We're polarized. We vote 70%, over 70% people voting. That is astonishing. But it would be not that meaningful if we are not very informed and we're just voting based on our feelings, for instance, right? Our affective polarization, our, our guts, uh, things that are not recent and rational. So um, definitely social media, if we are not active, as you are uh, suggesting, may have a negative impact in that sense. On the other hand, if we're very active and we create things the way we're supposed to, Social media is an incredible tool, and we've seen this day in, day out. People can really gain information from social media. You just have to be particularly active as for how you do it. So to recap, it sounds like unless we kind of intentionally take an active approach to consuming news on social media, if, we, if we're not active in our engagement with the news, it's probably best to kind of have a separation of social media and news that if we're if we're wanting to be a well-informed citizen it's best to turn away from our social media to go to specific news outlets is that the advice we want people to take away or is it just you know be be active be intentional when you're on social media if you're looking at news or or both i guess the answer is yes <laughs> i would i would suggest to become active with the news well, it can be also online, but active with the news, going to the newspaper you like, buying a subscription and read the news, watching TV news, listen to your favorite podcasts, radio shows, information, factual information. And if you use social media for news, just know what you're doing and how you use it. And it can be a great complementary type of information. But uh, above all, continue to do all those active practices of engaging with the news actively. And if you're not doing all those active practices and you feel like you're informed, you're probably not. That is correct. Wah, wah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. All right, Homero. Thanks so much for unpacking this concept for us. I think it's a, it's a really helpful one for thinking about where we are in the in news world and uh, how we might get somewhere else. Thank you so very much to both of you for having me, for your invitation. It's been an authentic pleasure to talk to you today. 
Leah, that was a that was a really fascinating conversation. It's great to know that this research is going on because it's so important for people to to know about these things. Well, you know, what's your what's the takeaway for you? Yeah, I think that this this episode was really eye-opening for me in the sense of I think I might fall into the news finds me mentality a little bit and being aware that this mentality exists and it, and it is a phenomenon that people fall into. I'm definitely going to be more intentional when I am on my social media, you know, when I'm, when I'm scrolling Twitter, when I'm on Facebook, even Instagram, you know, I'm going to be thinking a little bit more critically and I'm not just going to read the headline and then try and use that to base my arguments or my information from, I'm actually going to click further. I'm going to read the article. I'm going to be a little bit more active when I'm engaging with the news I'm finding on my, my feeds, what, what the algorithm's showing me. What about you, Matt? Any big takeaways here from today? Well, I'm, I'm always afraid of algorithms and machines because I like people more. So I, I think, the, uh, you know, kind of getting off social media a little bit more is probably the best thing for me. It does make me a little nuts sometimes. And I find that when I can be more purposeful and kind of go through the news sites that I look at, I don't have those, uh, those same feelings. So again, purposefulness and engagement is, uh, is my takeaway. That's it for this episode of News Over Noise. Our guest was Homero Gil de Zuniga, a professor of journalism and media studies at Penn State's Donald P. Belisario College of Communications. To learn more, visit newsovernoise.org. I'm Leah Dachis. And I'm Matt Jordan. Until next time, stay well and well-informed. News Over Noise is produced by the Penn State Donald P. Belisario College of Communications and WPSU. This podcast has been funded by the Office of the Executive Vice President and Provost at Penn State and is part of the Penn State News Literacy Initiative. 